Well, you know, as I was mentioning earlier, it has been quite a week. <laughs> you know, these last few days, I can't, I can't think of a time in my life when it has been like this. Can you? I was talking to somebody the other day, uh, or, or earlier today, actually, and I asked them, and, and they're a little bit older than me, and I said, can you think of a time in your life when it was like the last couple of days? And he said, no, the only thing that I can think of that comes close would be 9-11, when there was kind of this worldwide panic. But he said something I hadn't thought of. He goes, on 9-11, people were, were breaking down the doors to get into the church. With coronavirus, they're trying to stay away from the church, you know? It's like, that's one of the big differences, but I hadn't thought about it like that, but I think it's kind of true. But it's been kind of a crazy few, few days around here. I don't, I don't know, this is my take on some things that it seems like for the last month or two, we have been hearing about this illness that kind of started in China, but it didn't really impact us all that much. And then we just kind of heard about it over there. And then all of a sudden it's like, boom, it's right in our lap. You know, that's kind of how I feel. I mean, it went from something we're hearing about over there to travel bans, to all major sports leagues being suspended for the rest of the year, canceling March Madness. How do you do that? That's criminal. Canceling March Madness, universities all over the country, including our University of Arkansas, have gone to nothing but online classes. The president issues a state of an emergency. Rumors of our children possibly being out of school for weeks. <laughs> Disney closing its parks. Churches are closing their doors. Forrest Gump tested positive for coronavirus. And people are hoarding so much toilet paper these days, you would think that they had eaten lost fajitas three times a day for a week, you know? <laughs> My goodness. These are unprecedented times. And all joking aside, these really are unprecedented times. As many of you know, I was supposed to start a brand new series uh, today. And some of you came in to say, oh, we're not doing that. I'm going to let you know, we're not doing that series right now. I was going to start a series that I've been working on for a long time called The Elephant in the Room. And it's a, it's a series that was going to take about three weeks to, to go through. And it was all about us diving into God's Word and having a, a good, solid biblical understanding of what it means to align ourselves with God physically. More specifically, our sexuality. And trust me, the Bible is not silent on that subject. Some of you are like, I don't know what the Bible says. That's part of the problem. We don't know what the Bible says, but the Bible is not silent. But so as I was gearing up for this new series, earlier this week, I was working on it hard. Somewhere around Wednesday, somewhere about the time the president in his Oval Office was addressing the nation and they were announcing that the NBA season was canceled and I was trying to pick myself up off the floor on that announcement, um, somewhere right in there, I really felt like the Lord kind of impressed upon me, now's not the right time for this series. It's really not the right time. It just started to feel like there was a different elephant in the room, if you will, and so for the time being, with this series, The Elephant in the Room, I'm gonna put that on the shelf and I promise you I will come back to that because I think it's an extremely important topic. It's something the church needs to focus on and talk about, but we will get back to it because quite honestly, I don't think anybody's in the frame of mind exactly right now to talk about that subject. 
Instead, I would like for you to open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6 today. It's in the Old Testament. If you, brought your, if you got your phone, you want to open up the app. I have all the scriptures and all the notes listed in the New Life app. You just got to open up the sermon notes page, uh, the icon there. But 2 Kings chapter 6. And while you're finding that place in the Bible, um, I want you to know that 2 Kings chapter 6 is one of those um, little sections of the Bible that it seems like the Lord brings me back to often. I don't know if you have scripture like that in your life that the Lord brings you to or brings to your mind a lot. This one seems to be one for me. It's one of those stories that we're going to look at tonight of where the Lord seems to just remind me often who's really in control of this world. And it's not us, it's him. It's a story of the Lord. It's a story the Lord has used to give me confidence at times when I personally drastically Lacked it. It's a story that God has used to encourage me in the midst of my discouragement. Do you guys have some scriptures that encourages you in the midst of discouragement? This is one of those for me. God has used 2 Kings 6 to remind me that no matter how surrounded I may feel at times, no matter how bleak the moment may seem or how desperate the day begins to feel, I am not alone and the God who walks with me is greater than anything that I will ever face. 2 Kings chapter 6 always reminds me that I do not need to fear what is staring back at me regardless of what it may be. So here's what's happening in 2 Kings chapter 6. It is a perilous time for God's people, the Israelites. Lots of uncertainty. It's an uncertain time for them. There's this king of another country. It's the king of Aram. And he declared war on God's people. He declared war on the Israelites. And the king himself, if you read it, he was personally involved. He was organizing all the battle plans. I mean, it, it tells us in verse 8 that he was strategically picking the places where his troops would camp. There is this sense in the text that he is so personally invested in this campaign. He is personally out to get the Israelites. That's how it feels but this military campaign that he is leading, we also read that it becomes a very frustrating military campaign, and here's why. Every time the king of Aram would make a strategic decision and he would place his troops here and he would plan to attack here and he would get it all figured out, God would step in and he would let his prophet, his name is Elisha, and he would let Elisha know what the king's plans are. And Elisha would take that news to the Israelites and then they would make preparations and they would defend themselves. Basically, they seemed to stay one step ahead of the king of Aram. The Bible says this happened over and over and over and over again. Elisha was able to warn the Israelites of the impending danger. And so finally the king is like, something's going on here. There is no way the Israelites are this good. There's no way they're outsmarting me like this. I got to figure out what's going on. And he thinks that he's got a mole in his people. He thinks he's got a traitor in his midst. He thinks he's got somebody in his inner circle that is sympathetic to the Israelites. He says, I'm going to get to the bottom of it. So he summons all of his officers together and he calls them on to account and he wants to know why the Israelites are always one step ahead of him and who's the traitor. And as you read on, the officers are like, they push back on the king and they say in 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 12, can you see it? They said, none of us, not a one of us is, is against you, king. You're barking up the wrong tree here, king, because we're not involved, but we'll tell you who is the problem. Look what it said. Elisha, 
the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. How in the world did they know it was him? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us how they knew that, but somehow they knew it was Elijah. They're like, it's not us, it's him. He's telling all your secrets. In fact, he knows even the secret thoughts in your bedroom. The implication is when the king is all alone and he's making plans in his mind, Elisha even knows those things. Why does he know them? It's because God is telling him. That's why. And so here's what the king does. Look at verse 13. Go and find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then they sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. That, my friends, is a very quick mobilization of troops. They find out where he is, where he's at. He's not far away. They have the opportunity to get the upper hand on the Israelites, which is something they have not been able to do. They rush to the city of Dothan where Elisha is at. And in the middle of the night, they surround the entire city. You can imagine the scene the next day, can't you? We all have imaginations what this thing had to have been like. Here the Israelites are waking up from sleeping and they realize in the middle of the night they've been duped and they wake up and they are absolutely surrounded. If if you know anything about warfare in this Old Testament era, having your city surrounded by the enemy is not a good thing. It's not like today, call in air support, fire up the drones, you know, not, nothing like that. If your city gets surrounded, you're in trouble. A few years ago, I was in Israel, and one of the most fascinating places I saw was Masada. Are you familiar with Masada? Masada is like this tall mountain, if you will. It's a tall hilltop, but it's flat on top. And way back in the day, the first century, they built a fortress up there. The Romans did. Well, they lost, their, they lost it to the Jews. It was, it was, it's a long story. But in this revolt of the Jews against the Romans in the war, the last holdout of Jews camped up there at Masada, 960 of them. And the Roman army, they circled the mountain. They had troops all the way around the base of the mountain. There was no escape. And I've stood on the top of Masada and I've looked down and even today, 2,000 year old ruins of where the Romans had encamped all the way around and it becomes, you become very much aware there was no escape. They couldn't get away. And the Romans began to build this siege ramp that's still there. If you've never read the history of Masada, it's fascinating. I'll just cut to the end. After many months, there was no escape. And 960 Jews killed themselves because there was no way out. Oh, it is not a good thing to be surrounded by the enemy. That's what's happening here in 2 Kings chapter 6. This is what the Israelites woke up to in the city of Dotham. This is what they're looking out at. And if you look at verse 15, here's what happens next. When the servant of the man of God, that is Elisha, the prophet of God, it's his personal assistant, if you will. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, I get this impression his hair was sticking up and you know he's scratching himself. He's like, oh, oh. And he looks out and he sees that the city is surrounded, what does he say? Oh my Lord, that's maybe the cleaned up version for the Bible. Oh my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. You know, I wasn't there of course, you weren't there, but I personally get the impression from the text that there was panic. 
that there was panic. If there's like an all caps version in the text, which there isn't, I mean, that would be it. What should we do? There's panic setting in, and this servant specifically was wearing all this panic all around him. And I think in some ways, I think more than a few people right now are feeling and reacting exactly the same way Elisha's servant did. Oh no, what are we gonna do? This is terrible. There is no escape. We're surrounded. Buy all the toilet paper you can now. We're... I don't mean to make light of it. I just, the toilet paper hoarding is just crazy. I don't get it. How much do you need for real? Depends on where you eat, I guess. I ask this question. Why is it that so often our natural reaction to dangerous or treacherous or scary situations is to say, oh my goodness, what am I ever gonna do? Well, why is that? I mean, really, as a Christian, as a Christian, where does that kind of response come from? As followers of Jesus, why are we often quick to jump into the we're doomed basket? Why, why are we quick to do that? I understand why people who don't know Jesus do that. I understand why people who don't have their sights set on heaven, why they do that. But for those of us who believe in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that they put him in a tomb and three days later he came out. Those of us who believe that one day the Lord is gonna come and rescue us all again. Those of us who believe that, why do we so quickly become afraid of the things that happen in this life? I think there's a simple answer. It's because in times of uncertainty and fear, we tend to rely too heavily on our five senses and too little on our spiritual realities. Because in times of uncertainty, in times of fear, we tend to rely too heavily on our five senses and too little on our spiritual realities. We all know what the five basic senses are. It's one of the things they teach you in school growing up. What are they, do you know? Sight. Hearing, touch, smell, taste. These are the basic five senses. And in times of uncertainty, fear, when fear sets in, we tend to rely too heavily on the things that we can see and the things that we can hear and the things that we can touch. Our five senses tend to drive fear. Like when you're holding that bill that came in the mail and the reality begins to set in, that you can't pay that bill and you just fear any minute the phone is gonna call and somebody's gonna be on the other end and they're gonna wanna demand a payment and you know you don't have it and, and fear sets in. All five senses tell you, be afraid, be afraid of that. But like when the doctor comes in and he's not bringing good news with him and you can see the test results and you can hear the words coming out of the doctor's mouth and you can smell the room and the realization that you're gonna be spending a whole lot more time in this place than you ever thought you were gonna have to and fear sets in because all five senses say, be afraid. Or when they used to call you and your spouse the dynamic duo or the power couple and it's not that anymore, your forever love has gone on to be with Jesus and now one side of the bed is empty 
and the sounds that used to fill your home have been replaced with silence. Tastes are all fading and the touches are gone. And fear sets in and all five senses say, be so afraid. I'm convinced that's what's happening in 2 Kings chapter six. You have Elisha's servant and he looks out and he sees this army surrounding and they're not the good guys that are surrounding him and he can see them and he can hear them and if he went out too close, he could touch them and smell them and if they got rough with him, he would even taste them. All five senses of Elijah's servant were heightened and alert and he exclaimed, what are we gonna do? All five of his senses said, be afraid. But Elisha, in the exact same moment, was as cool as a cucumber. There are two different responses to the exact same thing. Look at verse 16. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I love that. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Two men, same situation, two completely different responses to it. Why? It's because this servant relied on his five senses, but Elisha relied on his spiritual realities, that which he knew about God what are spiritual realities? What are those things? Because we know what the five senses are. But what are the five, what are the spiritual realities? The Bible is loaded with them. I think you could almost find one on every page of the Bible. They're the things that our five senses can never detect. That's what these spiritual realities are. Like in Psalm chapter 46, verse one through three, there's a huge spiritual reality here. It says, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way, the mountains fall into the sea. Though the waters roar and the foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Do you hear the spiritual realities in this text? God is our refuge and our strength. Spiritual reality. Your five senses can't pick that up. He is an ever-present help in trouble. That is a spiritual reality. Your five senses will never get it. Joshua 1.9, there's a really good one there. It says, I have, not, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Do you hear the spiritual reality? The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. One of Jesus' closest friends, he said this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Did you hear that? The one who is in you. Who is that? That is the Lord. That is the Holy Spirit. That's God's presence with you. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Well, who's that? It's the devil, it's his demons. Those are in the world. That the Lord in you is greater, is stronger, is more powerful than that which is in the world. And that is an incredible spiritual reality. Two men, same dire situation, two completely different responses to it. One had great fear, one had great 
peace. One allowed his five senses to drive his fear. The other one let his spiritual realities, what he knew about God, to drive his peace. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. You know, this coronavirus, do I think we need to exercise caution? Yes, absolutely. Do I think we need to be wise in how we navigate as it spreads? Yes, I do. Do I think that we need to make adjustments, make compromises, go out of our way, serve one another, help each other out? Absolutely, yes, I do. Do we need to live our lives in fear? No, I don't believe so. Not as Christians who have firmly planted our feet in the truth of God's word, which reveals all of these spiritual realities, like God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. The Lord will be, our God will be with you wherever you go. Paul said this in the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse seven. He says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. So no matter what we face, I wanna encourage you today, don't ever lose sight of the spiritual realities which will override our five senses every single time. Elisha is about to reveal another spiritual reality to his servant. Look at verse 17. Elisha prayed, they're out there, they're looking at all this. He prayed, open his eyes, Lord. Whose eyes are he wanting to open? His servant. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And listen, this is the spiritual reality that we don't talk about a whole lot in our church. But he opened his servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Can you close your eyes and imagine what that would look like? I believe what the servant had his eyes open, what he could see was an angelic army on fire, chariots and horses, weapons of war in this day. And they far outnumbered the king of Aram and his troops. It is a moment in scripture where God allowed an individual, his five senses, to cross over into spiritual realities and exist at the same time. He could see, smell, taste, he could see it, all of this, and the spiritual, it, was all, it had to have been overwhelming. And I think he understood why Elisha was so calm. I don't know if Elisha could see this all the time. I don't know if he had special anointing from God as one of his prophets to see the spiritual realm. I don't know. But Elisha had great calm and so did his servant after his eyes were opened. You know, I think about this moment. In the Old Testament, fire is often associated with God's presence. We read that a lot. How God revealed himself in fire situations, burning bush, the tavern, all those things. And if you were to go back a couple chapters in the book of 2 Kings all the way back to chapter two, you would read about another prophet. His name was Elijah. He was Elisha's mentor. Elijah is one of two people in the Bible who never died. And in, in 2 Kings chapter two, the Bible describes how Elijah was walking along and chariots of fire showed up, picked him up and whoo, heaven. You have imagery here 
in this example, of, which is exactly the same as what happened with Elijah. Chariots of fire, angelic presence, the spiritual world being revealed in front of people's eyes, the five senses and spiritual realities coming together in one moment. And it's a great reminder to us of why we should never fear. I wonder if you have that same calm assurance today that Elisha did in 2 Kings 6. Not just in light of this whole coronavirus thing, but in all things. You have this calm assurance that no matter what you face, this spiritual reality that says that my heavenly father walks with me every day. Do you live every day of your life knowing that your heavenly father walks right there with you every day? Do you live life with this calm assurance knowing that we have a God who has promised us of something he knows? That he says, I know what you need before you even know how to ask for it. Do you walk around with that calm assurance? Because I believe these calm assurances are all grounded in spiritual realities and I think that's how Christians get through every day of their life without, quote unquote, fear. So, what do, we t- what do we do right now as Christians? What, what is our, our response? We don't wanna be people who live in fear. We never want panic to step in. We don't wanna jump into the all is doomed bucket. So how do we as Christians navigate these perilous times where everybody's kind of just freaking out? Well, I think there's three things. There's probably 300, but I'm gonna give you three. I think this is an opportunity for the church to be the church and to serve one another. You think about when the church is at its best. It's often in times of trouble. I think this is an opportunity for here at the New Life Church to be the church and to serve one another because there's people and we're surrounded by them all the time where they need help, they need service, they need other Christians to come around and say, how can I serve you? How can we serve our community? How can we be available? I'll tell you, uh, uh, Bentonville Public School System reach out to us just the other day, and they asked us if in the event that we end up closing schools, can we use New Life as a satellite station for food distribution for kids? You know, sad reality that we have here in Arkansas that if a kid doesn't get food at school, he won't get food at all. And they wanna serve free breakfast and lunch. They can we just use your, your space here as one of those locations? We're like, yes, absolutely. What else can we do? Absolutely, that's just one little thing. We need to serve one another. Here's another thing. I think this is an opportunity for Christians to demonstrate sanity, peace, and hope. Sanity, peace. You watch the news, there's very little sanity. There's no peace, zero hope. This is not the time for Christians to jump on that bandwagon. This is the time for Christians to be like Elisha, to be calm, to be assured in our spiritual realities where it's like, This is gonna be okay. We need to get a little Jamaican. Don't worry, mom. You weren't ready for that, were you? Don't worry, be happy. We'll not be doing that in a future service. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything But in every situation, every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, 
gratefulness, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is Paul talking to a church in a perilous time there in Philippians. He's in jail when he wrote this. Don't be anxious. I think there's a third thing that we should do, and we should do this all the time, but I think if there's a heightened awareness in this time, we should pray. I heard somebody say this week that we need to remember that the God of the heavens and the God of earth is the same God who controls every microbe, atom, and molecule. We need to pray to our God. He's in control of all things. So our president asked Christians today to pray. He asked Christians to pray all over the United States today. So as we bring our time together today to a close, I would like for us to do just that. I would like for us to join millions and millions of Christians all around the world today to pray. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes, I'm gonna give you just a few moments of silence. I may prompt you a little bit in prayers, but let's just have a time of prayer. So Lord, we come before you, and Lord, we wanna be like Elisha, calm in our spiritual realities, knowing that those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Lord, we don't know what you're doing with this coronavirus. But we know that all things work together for good for those who love you. So Lord, whatever your plan is and whatever you're doing, may we be a part of your bigger plan to reach more and more people for your son Jesus. We all pray about that right now. God, may your will be done. Lord, my prayer and our prayer together collectively would be that more and more people would move towards you, not away from you in this time. That, Lord, more and more people would be drawn for answers and that answers, that, that pursuit would bring them back to your doorstep. So, Lord, we pray that we will see an evangelistic breakout happen in light of this virus. Lord, why don't we pray about that right now? Just take a moment. God to soften hearts during this time. Lord, help us to be the church that you want us to be, the people, Lord, that can bring, you know, uh, peace and sanity. Lord, hope to every conversation. That, that, Lord, I pray that you just use us to serve others, that Lord, just mold us into whatever you would have us to be God during this time. Pray for a moment and ask God to use your life in some way in the midst of this virus. Lord, we take our greatest assurance from the very fact, the spiritual reality that you love us. Your word says that all who believe in you will never perish but have eternal life. Lord, we take our great hope in your spiritual reality, the truth that says, why do we fear those that can kill the body and can do no more? 
Lord, help us be a people that will fear you who has the power over life and death. Lord, we just honor you today. We thank you, God, for what you've done on the cross and what that means for our lives today, knowing that we will be with you forever in heaven. So, Lord, we just thank you for that, God. Lord, your will be done on all of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being here today. Um, um, it's it's, it's going to be okay, all right? I promise you, it's going to be okay. Thank you for being here. If any of you would like special prayer, um, we would love, and me and the elders would love to, to pray with you uh, up here. If you'd like to talk about um, just uh, what's going on with your walk with Jesus, we'd love to to, uh, to to do that with you. Just whatever's on your heart, we want to do some real ministry at this time. And, and Don, congratulations for being baptized today. We celebrate that with you. So proud of you. God bless you guys. Have a great day.